Hi, I'm David Byrne. I'd like to invite you on an adventure. I've co-created a new immersive show called Theater, Theater of, the, of mind. the Mind. Our guides will lead you through a series of experiences you'll see, feel, taste, and hear to examine how we perceive the world and how we shape our identities. It's all inside your head. But is any of it real? Find out starting August 31st. Tickets at theaterofthemindenver.com. Hey there, ghosties. Welcome to episode 97 of the Ghost Lights podcast. We are back after our fun time over at Candlelight Dinner Playhouse and the Denver Actors Fund Gala with Beth Malone. This week, we sit down with Charlie Miller, the one of the four producers on Theater of the Mind. He's also the executive director and curator of Off Center Productions for the Denver Center. And we have had a great time getting a chance to know each other. We are live in his old stomping grounds at the Elaine Wolf Theater. I hope you enjoy our conversation where we get to learn more about the man and his take on immersive experiential theater, the types of people that it takes to make it happen, and the importance of collaboration to get it off the ground. If you're looking for more information on Charlie Miller, check out Danielle Betts' new podcast called The Eclectic, which is an offshoot of um, Destination Freedom, Freedom's Black Radio Days. It's a great little 27-minute conversation and really pointed questions that, that get to the heart of the business at hand. And with that, Dan, give me war by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Hey there, Ghosties. Welcome back. It is episode 97 of the Ghost Lights Podcast, and today's guest is someone I've had the good fortune of getting the opportunity opportunity to work with and learn over the last few months on Theater of the Mind. He is Charlie Miller, the executive director and curator of Off Center. He's one of the many producers, or one of two producers? Four producers! See, I've we get the introductions on the first day, and then I forget everything. <laughs> He's one of four producers on Theater of the Mind, which is now running um, at, through Off Center at the, let's see, York Yards? York Street Yards. York, York Street Yards. There's a warehouse. There's a beautiful little outhouse. Check it out. It's definitely the best outhouse I've ever been to. A VIP custom bathroom trailer is what we call it. <laughs> That's, yes, sorry. I don't wanna, <laughs> that's a great way. Let's let me... Let me. Anyway, we'll move right along. Charlie, thank you so much for making time and being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is going to be interesting because we're recording live inside of the Elaine Wolf Theater here at the JCC, and um, one of the one of the reasons why we're able to like make this time and space for you is because you studied here. Yes, I did. So, I did my first theater class when I was four years old on mm -hmm. this very stage. I played a clown. I actually have a t terrible memory of being too nervous to ask where the bathroom was and then peeing myself at that age. <laughs> uh, fortunately, that's not the only thing that happened here. And I fell in love with theater. I did the Billy Goats Gruff. Yes. And then I went on to do dozens and dozens of productions on this very stage from really from age uh from like second grade through high school mm -hmm. and it's it's where i fell in love with theater it's where i learned theater 
It's where I was mentored by some amazing theater professionals locally, Mm -hmm. Steve Wilson, Nick Sugar, Donna Debrasini, um, who are still doing amazing things in town and uh, taught me that I wanted to do this professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's cool to be back on this stage because I look out, even though it looks a lot different, uh, I have many, many memories. That's awesome. I'm really glad. I'm really glad we could do this here. When you talk about being that four-year-old child stepping out onto the stage here, what was it and how did it evolve, your attraction to performance art? Uh, well, my parents noticed that I, you know, they thought I would enjoy it, so mm-hmm. they enrolled me at age four because at that age they noticed that I liked performing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really just fell in love with it both the kind of creative outlet outlet that theater provides the collaboration which as an actor as a kid you don't fully get but you you get a taste of and really when i got more into directing and producing is when i realized oh there's so much more mm-hmm. to this and there's so many creative people who have to come together to make a show possible mm-hmm. um i also just love the people and like i found my people in the theater and especially at the jcc here um, I'm Jewish, and so like this ended up being my my home away from home. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, made friends with all these kids who went to all these other schools, some of whom were Jewish and some of whom were not. But we all did theater together, and and I'm still friends with many of them to this day. Mm-hmm. And you know, the education and the experience that we had growing up here was really um, amazing for many of us. Yeah, the the growth that you've kind of experienced that you talk about touched on becoming a director and producer. When did that start happening for you? Was it when you still in like high school or were you directing it before then? Or? Um, <laughs> so there's, a, there's multiple pieces to this story, which yeah. all uh, intersect in some way in my career. Interestingly, not by design, but just sort of by luck, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I started doing theater, and then in middle school, some of my theater friends from here and I got into making movies. Uh-huh. And so we started making these movies for fun, and um, then I was like, oh, filmmaking is kind of interesting. And then in high school, I did more filmmaking, and I did some directing and producing, and I was like, oh, I like acting, but when you're directing, you can be in control of your destiny more, and mm. you're not like at the mercy of if they're going to cast me or not. You can yeah. direct your own show, or you can produce a show. And so that piqued my interest. And then I, I went to college that had a really interesting filmmaking uh, filmmaking program. And so I majored in filmmaking and video production with an eye towards doing it for live performance. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know that that was a huge thing at the time. I was just like, I like making movies. I like live performance and theater more. So maybe I can figure out a way to do both of mm-hmm. those. And I produced a lot of theater and directed some too in college. And then it's that focus on multimedia and uh, and utilizing video and projections in theater that helped me get a job at the Denver Center right out of college, mm-hmm. where I started being the resident video designer. And um, and I what my pitch to them when I had the opportunity to meet Kent Thompson, the artistic director at the time, was. I want to create a multimedia lab where we can be experimenting with technology 
this was just as social media was becoming a thing mm-hmm. and like how do we use this technology to expand the theatrical experience mm. and that was the seed of what would become off center which is now my full-time job yeah so it's all kind of connected and it all really started here did you as you started experimenting in all those different forms of the the performance medium where did it start to click in for you? I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. This brings something new out of me and and it requires me to grow more and I like the way that feels as you start moving into these, like, I mean, you're talking about how technology helps build up a piece now. When did that start to happen and how did it, like, feel for you? It was, like, the the last couple of years of high school where, mm. I, I like, I had the tools to be more serious as a filmmaker Um Facebook started my senior year in college. I mean, sorry, my senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to Harvard where Facebook had started. So I like, I was brought into Facebook before it was, I mean, when I started, it was just like a couple of colleges that were on it. Mm-hmm. And, and then I got really interested in YouTube and I was like, man, my friends and I used to make these videos and like have friends over at my parents' house and show our little VHS tapes that we made. And like if YouTube existed when I was a kid, yeah. <laughs> it's probably a good thing it didn't because we made some we made some ridiculous things that like probably shouldn't live on the internet, but probably would have if we were you know even mm-hmm. five years uh, younger. Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, I've, I was interested in in social media. I was interested in how you use video in the context of theater mm-hmm. and how you know if you take. How, how video and how technology can expand the theatrical experience so that it it is an extension of the story, but it's also marketing. Mm-hmm. And so my, my senior thesis in college, which was the first opportunity I had to really like put the pieces together, was called Username Faust. And it was a retelling of the Faust legend, yeah. um, exploring internet celebrity, which was just starting to be a thing. And so in, this, in it, a woman sold her soul gave away her password to be to have the most popular youtube video of all time Mm. and um in the show you watched her make this video but the video also lived online and so you could happen upon it on youtube and then wonder about the show and so i was interested in like can it take on a life of its own outside of the theater and how does technology support that not replace the theatrical experience but actually enhance it Mm. that sounds amazing I hope that's on YouTube now, like the whole piece. Uh, I don't think the whole piece is, man, I don't remember. Okay. Well, we'll but look. pieces of it still are, for sure. That's cool. Um, as you see it now, you touched on this briefly in The Eclectic with Danielle Betts. A great interview, by the way. So for my ghosties at home, please give it a listen, um, if you can find it, uh, Black Radio Days. You talk about your connection to these extensions of the performance medium do you feel that that is essential to the continued growth and the sustainability of live theater that's a good question i um i mean look theater has been around for thousands of years it will be around for thousands more i think that there are some people who are always going to want to sit and take it in. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is awesome. And like, you know, that's what hooked me. And that's, I, I will continue to love tr- theater in its traditional form. Yeah. 
um, what I'm increasingly interested in personally is how to give the audience more agency, um, how to make it more, how to give them a more active role in the storytelling. Mm -hmm. And immersive or experiential theater, as we're now calling it, provides that opportunity. I think that in those same, along those same lines, technology and social media or whatever you want to call it, media allows for the story to exist beyond the live moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And that still remains of interest to me. And yet I never want to replace that live theatrical moment because that's what it's all about for uh, as a producer and artist and also as an audience member like it's that live exchange that makes it exciting it's why i never wanted to make movies that people just watch in a theater because mm-hmm. you know there's no it's like it's it's always going to play the same no matter what the audience is doing totally and um so i'm not sure if that fully answered your question but i do feel like this movement toward giving audience members more agency and and having a a story happening all around them and and giving them a role inside of that story is really exciting to me as a new chapter in the evolution of the art form again not to replace mm. but to add to the story of the absolutely uh, make it additive um i just wanted to say additive i'm sorry yes. you said that it's it's a fun word i'm learning <laughs> anyway um <laughs> you talk about agency for the audience what does that look like to you Um, I mean, I think I've been experimenting and Off Center has been experimenting with what that looks like for a long time. Mm. The first real interactive show we did was called Wheel of Misfortune, and Mm. it was back in 2013. And it was a game show that we designed that the audience played. So we got three contestants out of the audience. The rest of the audience was given a team to cheer for. And we created this fake game show that the audience competed against each other in. (laughs) And it was ridiculous. And the premise was it was the scariest game show ever. And you had these challenges that were everyday tasks made terrifyingly difficult. Mm. So, like, you had to sort laundry blindfolded with your mouth. Sort dirty laundry blindfolded Mm. with your mouth. (laughs) Or you had to, like, we would call it the salad toss, where you had a (laughs) bowl on your head and people had to throw all the food into the salad and then pour the (laughs) dressing in. Oh, but it was a colander, so it would leak on your head. (laughs) And then the person who lost had to spin the wheel of misfortune. And there were all these terrible things that would befall you on the wheel. So, like, walking across a a floor covered in Legos, Mm. beer bonging a Mountain Dew, um, and then the be- the worst one was getting slapped across the face by a dead octopus. <laughs> um, and like, it was disgusting. And we got audience members to do all this and love it. And the audience cheering them on. And so like, that was sort of pushing the limits of what we could convince audiences to do in the yeah. name of a story or an experience. And, and when's the remount of this piece? <laughs> um, I... I'm not sure. Yeah. It was. It was. I think we maybe saved the wheel because we were like, "This wheel is pretty special." We <laughs> is it, it is it available for us to produce <laughs> here on this stage? It was very messy. Oh, it I was bet. very very messy. Oh, and then there was the fart machine that just produced the most horrible smell. <laughs> we would just like put it in your face. I mean, this is like super sloppy uh, family double yeah. day, right? No, here, exactly. Right? It was like inspired by the early um, oh Nickelodeon stuff. Uh, anyway, so. So that was like the <laughs> earliest version of 
audience interaction. Yeah. And then, um, and then we did a number of shows moving audiences through spaces and giving them various degrees of agency um, through those stories. And then uh, I think the real, the, the, the one that pushed the limits the most in my mind was Between Us, which was three one-on-ones that we commissioned, uh, created by different director and writer teams. So there was The Blind Date, which um, Capital W created they're based out of LA, but they created it at the Museum of Contemporary Art. Mm. That was a date that the audience, one audience member and one actor went on. Mm. Um, there was the Deck of Cards, which was created by um, Jenny Coons, the director. And that was sort of a metaphysical card reading, for lack of a better description. Mm. And then Amanda Berg Wilson, artistic director of the Catamounts, who's collaborated on a number of off center projects. Um, she directed and created the whiskey tasting um, with playwright David uh, Jacoby. Yeah. And that was a whiskey tasting for two audience members and one actor. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about all of those was we started with the premise of one actor, one audience, or two in the case of whiskey. But, you know, what's a scenario that would bring two people together? Mm-hmm. And how do we cast the audience member in a role? that they are comfortable playing where they can show up either as their authentic self or, you know, in a, some kind of, however they want to play it, but Mm. that like they're half of the scene Mm -hmm. and how do we create a script that has enough guardrails that we can deliver a meaningful story, but that has, you know, we talked about it as a highway, like you're driving on the highway, the audience can take you on any number of off ramps. You can spend as much time over there as you want but then the actor needs to figure out how to get them back on the highway at certain points. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there was a lot of improv, a lot of structured improv and a lot of deep listening and following where the audience member wanted to go. Mm -hmm. But that was the most kind of radical experiment in audience agency. And it was really successful. I mean, we sold out all of those shows pretty much. We the only reason we couldn't extend is because it was just so logistically complicated, but we felt like the demand was there. Mm. And the people who did those shows who actually understood what they were signing up for. <laughs> there were a couple guys who would be like, My wife bought this show. I don't know. I'm going on a date tonight. <laughs> um, like, oh, I'm not sure you're gonna have a great experience. But the people who who knew what they were signing up for and were at game for the adventure Mm -hmm. really found it to be meaningful and exciting. And I was excited by it too. Um, and so I think that's sort of like the most extreme version that we've tried. Definitely. I'm curious about the, um, from your perspective, what makes a good performer in these types of immersive experiential theater experiences and how does that mesh with, the vari- the constant variable that is the audience. Like, what are you looking for when you're yeah. building a team, I guess? Um, I mean, it's sort of different for every project, and it's also similar. Mm-hmm. What's similar is, I think in immersive, you cannot, um, you can't perform, you can't put on a character. You can't really perform. You have to be authentic. Mm-hmm. When, when the audience is, like, inches away from the actor, if the actor is is too big or too performative, it's so obvious and it's so alienating. Mm -hmm. And so you need people who can wear a character lightly and who are very human, you know, underneath it or or where there's no differentiation between, you know, the, the human and the character. 
Um, and I, immersive auditions, I think, are really so much fun because we usually have people just show up and tell us a story and yeah. we give them a prompt. We will do some text work as well, but um, it's it's usually starting with some storytelling mm-hmm. and we just see who they are as a human, how they connect with the audience. You know, unlike a normal audition where you may not, you're not supposed to look at the director, like mm-hmm. you actually need to make eye contact because that's a big piece of this kind mm-hmm. of performance style. Yeah. Can you not be awkward? <laughs> Can you like <laughs> s- look deeply in someone's eyes and not look away? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what we look for. And then, you know, there's different nuances for different projects. For Theater of the Mind, for example, I think it's one of the hardest shows for an actor, at least to learn. I mean, we have so many talented people, yourself included, who are performing it so successfully. But there's a layer of group facilitation Mm -hmm. and like people moving and helping a group move from one space to another. There's knowing the text and being able to deliver the text convincingly, um, which is about storytelling. There's... uh, you know, instruction giving, which is, I guess, related to the group facilitation. But, you know, there's these science experiments you have to very accurately get people to replicate. And um, and then there's being open to whatever the audience is going to throw at you and being ready to handle it in a way that, you know, doesn't get the group off track, but that honors what people are bringing to the show and makes it live and exciting for them. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you're learning the show, I think you have to kind of take one chunk at a time but then once you're comfortable in it being able to just be completely present with the audience and ready for whatever's going to happen is a real real skill and it's certainly something that i've seen people gain with practice Mm -hmm. and i think there's also an innate set of tools that actors come with to be successful Mm. what are those tools in your opinion well i i I think i sort of mentioned some of them i think i think there's like a a charisma and a human element that just makes someone interesting and uh, fun to listen to and to, you know, allows you to connect with them. Mm -hmm. I think that there's listening is a a key piece of it and the ability to really hear what people are saying and then, um, and then improv to be able to hear what they're saying and then say something in response that is productive and, moves in a right direction Mm -hmm. and also makes the people feel like they've been heard. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the ability to like act on, on your feet, um, to, to improvise is important. And then text, you know, being able to handle text in a way that feels natural, I think is another piece of it to say words that someone else wrote, but to make it seem like it's your own. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's a different set of, I mean, I think, I think that's a skill that many actors need to have, but it's it's a different it's a different kind of text skill than I think a Shakespearean actor needs, obviously. Yeah. So uh, it's a it's a unique mix of text, of listening, of being human, and of improv. I think definitely. Thank you. Um, I'm I'm curious. Just something that's been kind of on my mind as we've been talking here is based off what I think I'm. I'm witnessing change in audiences is um, their desire not just to be maybe a part of a moment, but to control the moment. How does your work 
be affected by or try to affect that type of audience member? Like, what are the things that you take into consideration when you're looking at the variables of somebody that is, I mean, any one person could see the show or see a an immersive piece and then try to commandeer the moment? I think that's really tricky. And I think shows like Sleep No More which for those who aren't familiar is a kind of a free for all where mm. and they say at the beginning fortune favors the bold you're sort of encouraged to you know go everywhere and mess with things and open every drawer mm-hmm. and i think when you have a show that doesn't allow for that if people's expectation of immersive theater is i can open every drawer and i can open every door and i can you know explore what i want to explore and meow wolf you know i think operates with the same rules to some extent. Mm. I think that makes it tricky for other experiences that are more controlled. Um, I mean, I think what I love about this form is that there can be a new set of rules for every experience. Mm. And I think savvy audience members know or expect to be introduced to those rules Mm -hmm. um, at the beginning. And we call that onboarding in the biz, but I do think it's important that you are very intentionally setting people up for success. And if, I I mean, there will always be the occasional person who wants to break the rules, but I think if you make the rules clear and set and train people from the beginning for how you want them to behave, I think that they will largely follow those and that's how they're going to have a successful experience. Mm -hmm. So in theater of the mind, we say in the lobby, your guide will tell you exactly what you need to know. Or I think we say your guide will tell you everything you need to know exactly when you need to know it. And, you know, in the first ante room where you're um, are kind of brought in with the voiceover, they say, you know, follow your guide. Mm-hmm. So um, and then we instruct you to go sit in your chair. And then, you know, that's sort of like the ways that we're intentionally instructing people to move through those spaces and interact with the performer. Um, But it's different for every show, and it's certainly why you need to do a good amount of test audiences or play testing, as other people like to call it, Mm -hmm. um, to see how how people respond and to fine-tune the way you're bringing people in and setting it up for them. When you talk about um, these test audiences, we spent a, a, like at least two weeks really kind of finding the audience stuff, and I know there was more work done with that with the, the previous workshop period of time. Is that something that separates this type of work from your, your a st- regular stage musical play, that you need to really kind of get data from your audiences as before we go on off our leash, I guess. Absolutely. Um, Christine Woods, who's one of the leaders of Immersive Denver and one of the stage managers for Theater of the Mind, she likes to say, she'll tell you if it's immersive, if it can exist without the audience. Mm. So if like the show can exist without the audience doing anything, then it's not immersive. Mm. Um, And I think if you use that definition, in order to know what the show is, you need to have audiences in the rehearsal process to figure it out. And so that always takes the form of test audiences. And we, as you said, we did a couple weeks of them in the main rehearsal process. We had a workshop period earlier in the summer where we put up the show in a really rough form and we brought 
and number a couple hundred people through at that point just to be able to understand what we had and mm. what needed to f- get fixed. And so you need to see people move through it. You need to get feedback from them about what they were confused about and what they weren't and see what the range of responses is so that you can know how to hone it to be the, the response that you want or the range of responses that you want. Totally. Um, I'm curious, um, what is it that you look for when bringing in a piece to be f- performed on Off Center? Um, Theater of the Mind is a, is this show that's had a, a, another life before it showed up here in Denver, and, and you talk on The Eclectic about how it was brought to your attention. What is it about Theater of the Mind that attracted you to putting it on, and then what is it through that piece that we could learn about what draws you into, like, that's something I want to explore, or does it often just come from people you know that, let's create something together? Um, well, I'll actually answer the first, second part first, cool. which is the way I, I describe Off Center mm-hmm. and it's what's sort of become our... Um, our brand proposition for lack of a more artistic term is um, unexpected experiences that put the audience at the center of the story, unexpected theatrical experiences. And so to dissect that a bit, um, unexpected really is just a nod to the element of surprise. Mm -hmm. I think what makes this kind of work so exciting is when you can really surprise people by taking them into an environment that they've never could have imagined or could have thought would be in a warehouse. Um, and, and time and again, what I hear from audiences is that they love that it was out of the ordinary and that it was surprising. And, and we work hard to preserve that element of surprise by not showing too much in the press mm-hmm. and in the media and you know really keeping some things secret so that people can have that sense of wonder and surprise every time mm-hmm. um so unexpected theatrical experiences it's got to be theatrical which to me means there has to be a story mm-hmm. it can't just be an installation it doesn't mean there has to be a a live performer but there needs to be a, a story that you can somehow get through mm-hmm. the experience um and uh put the audience at the center of the story is my you know the, is about giving them real agency so that they have a role to play. Yeah. Um, so that's generally what I'm interested in and what I'm looking for and the kinds of stuff that Off Center has been experimenting with and kind of programming over the past 13 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of theater of the mind, what excited me about it was one. David Byrne because he's an amazing artist Mm -hmm. and um, I just thought what an what an incredible opportunity to help bring his next project to life Mm. Um, and that it would have wide appeal because of that but also I got to go to what they called science camp I think it was like January of 2019 Mm. Uh, they mocked up all the neuroscience experiments and we just went through and did them all. And David told a little bit of stories, sort of give a sense of how he imagined contextualizing them in the show, but it was really just about experiencing the science. And it was so exciting to me to be able to experience all of it. Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, a story can only enhance this, but 
it feels like it's worth the price of admission just to be able to do some of these experiments that you would never otherwise have the opportunity to do Absolutely. and to see a different, you know, to, to get at that perspective on your brain and how our brains work. So that's what excited me about the project was, you know, the ability to, to give people an experience that would really change the way they think about themselves or the world around them. Um, and obviously it's a, it ends up being a very compelling story and, and is I think resonant for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. So, um, that's what excited me about the project. I'm, I'm curious. Um, when we, when I look at this particular piece, uh, the, the, the over without giving it away, the, the arc to this piece is, it, it's really special and it's really about, it's based in this connection to what we see, experience, remember of those moments. And that seems very different than, because it's like the, it's so direct in exploring that specific aspect of our lives. When you talk about a story that the, the show has to give to the audience, is it something that has a message if we're talking about this experiential theater or could it, or it like, like the first one, the, the game show, it seems like that was just like fun for an hour, but does it work better one way or the other? Or? Um, I have like five ways I want to answer this question, but go for it. Um, I think we've got, so time. we've got time. F- first I'm, I'm reminded of Zach Morris, who's one of the artistic directors of Third Rail Projects. Mm-hmm. Not the guy from Saved by the Bell. Not the guy from Saved by the Bell. Right? Cool, cool. Who, um, who was the lead creative behind Sweet and Lucky. And the way he talks about story is that they put together, they put out a, a, a series of stars, mm-hmm. and it's the audience's job to draw the constellation. And so, like, you could see those five stars and think that it's one image or one story and someone else could see it and think it's another one and they're both right because it's they're creating, they're kind of connecting the dots, Mm -hmm. right? So I I love that image and that idea of how story can work in immersive. And then there's, like, Camp Christmas, which uh, I created, um, created by Lonnie Hands-On, local artist, and I've collaborated with him for a number of years on. And Camp Christmas like has a very light story, and we continue refining it, and you know it's evolved each year. But it's a- essentially about reconnecting with the sense of joy and wonder at the holidays, and the kind of universal elements that brought humans to celebrate of many different faiths at this time of year. It's the darkest and coldest time of year, we want community, we want warmth and we want light. Mm. And like every celebration um, kind of has those elements. And so it's reminding us of that universality, but it's also um, reminding us that it's fun and like giving us a childlike sense of wonder again. Um, And there's a little bit more to be discovered there, but like if that's all you get, if you just chuckle a little bit and you enjoy the lights or the quirky displays, like that's okay. And so that's a show where it's like less about the audience getting a specific story. And again, I guess the constellation they draw can be different. And the people who want to go deeper and find more meaning, there is me- more meaning to be found. But mm-hmm. if you just want to take your kids through and ride the carousel and have a great time, you can do that and that's okay. Yeah. 
Um, and so I, I do think it depends on the project. Uh, and I do think it's important when creating an immersive piece to understand what you're going for and what, you know, what you're tr hoping the audience to get out of it. And I think that needs to inform the form to some extent, because if you want there to be a clear story with a clear beginning, middle and end that delivers a certain kind of emotional whatever at the end, you need to guide it because mm. if it's a free for all, that's never going to happen. Mm. Um, but if you want people to just get the thesis of your project yeah. and that's it, like, okay, you know, it's, it's in flashing lights, forget your troubles, come on, get campy mm. and that's okay. Then, then you can have it be a free for all. Yeah. So I, I do think as a creator, it's important to know what you're going for and then design something that allows for that to be the case. Mm. But certainly the more agency you give an audience mm. member, the less you can control what they take away from it. Oh. Um, I mean, my I, I know someone who went to sleep no more and didn't understand how it worked. And I was like, oh, and I had like recommended that they go. And I said, oh, how was your experience? And they said it was terrible. <laughs> we I was like, oh, did you explore the spaces? And they said, yeah, Um but then we ended up back at the bar and I was like, okay. And did you find some characters or like see a story? And they're like, well, there was a lounge singer and then there was a band and there was the bartender. And I was like, did you just spend the whole time in sleep no more? Like sitting at the cabaret bar where you start and end the show. <laughs> and the answer was yes. Oh, <laughs> I was like, But like, that was yeah. like, that's the risk you have, yeah. you know, someone could do that and then they don't get it at all. So, mm. Um, I do think it, yeah. Uh, it when choosing your own adventure, choose wisely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you know, thank you so much for being here and that this has been a real kind of crash course experience and I'm thankful for that. Um, I, I wonder, you sit here in this space, we've talked about your journey to this place where you are currently in your career um, and, and we all suspect it's going to be so much more what is the ghost light you'd leave on for the next generation of people coming behind you? That piece of information that you wish you had when you started out that you'd like everyone to know. I love that question. Um, I feel like what makes theater exciting for me is the collaboration between people who are deeply skilled in a variety of things coming together to make something that they couldn't do on their own. And what excites me about where immersive in art in general is heading is that the boundaries between the different disciplines are getting increasingly blurred. Mm. And it is theater and it is not theater and it is installation and it is not, and it is can be dance and it can be, you know, text and writing and it can be video and technology or it cannot. Um, but that it's not, it's not a dance performance or it's, it's not a play. It is something more where the boundaries are blurred. Mm -hmm. And I love the blurring of those boundaries and the collaboration it takes to make it right. Mm. And I'm, I'm excited in seeing the new generations coming up about how they can blur boundaries in all sorts of ways in gender. I see a lot, you know, um, in, uh, in the way that they're kind of blurring between 
their professional or work lives and their personal lives and like those boundaries are blurring in weird and maybe interesting ways mm-hmm. um and and i think in art too like it doesn't matter what you call it or what it is what matters is that you're doing something interesting that's gonna you know be meaningful for the people who get to experience it and so i would just i, I would encourage more boundary blurring in art and and pushing beyond the traditional forms and silos and uh to think bigger about what might be possible fantastic i get a question you go for it um so if you you talk to someone who does traditional theater and lots of people have bucket list shows that they really want to do or that Mm. that that actor they want to be on stage with in the world of immersive theater, do you have bucket list experiences or bucket list people that you're interested in working with that you haven't yet done? I I mean, there are a lot of artists that are on my radar um, that I would love to collaborate with. And so I do have like a list of people that I'm like a short list of people that I want to reach out to and see what they want to create Mm -hmm. um one of the things that has been interesting about my career and i think off center's journey is not being able to tell you what exactly is you know i'm going to be doing in five years or off center is going to be in five years Mm -hmm. or that off center would even be like when i was starting at the denver center i couldn't have told you that that's what i wanted to help build Mm -hmm. um but to be able to try something learn from it and then figure out what the next thing i want to try is and then keep iterating and keep experimenting until there's like a clearer vision for what's next and so i'm still in that space like i'm there's so much immersive experimenting that i want to do and uh and I'm, and I'm just starting to look now that theater of the mind is up. I'm just starting to look beyond to say like what's next, and so I don't have a bucket list of like oh, I want to do that show or I want to, but I what I do want to do is figure out how to continue to advance this art form, mm-hmm. and how to create experiences for Denver that are exciting, that are entertaining, that are meaningful and that bring people together. And that's really what drives me. And I think what, uh, what is, you know, where I'm hoping to lead off center and, and who knows? I mean, I feel like with each concluding chapter, there's a new one yet to begin. And it's, it's always interesting to see where, where it will lead. Absolutely. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for being with us here today. Um, the executive director and curator of off center, everyone, Ghosties, Charlie Miller, get your tickets right now for Theater of the Mind. There are still some spots available. They will not last long. Go out there, grab them, and uh, you are listening to the Ghost Lights Podcast. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. It's a pleasure chatting, and uh, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Dan, do the damn thing.
Thank you.